It's Rexy's musical podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Bax, and welcome back to Baxi's musical podcast. Now, think about this for a minute. Imagine you get a chance to play with one of the world's greatest musicians, a guy who is considered to be one of, if not the best, at what he does, almost without equal, playing with one of the most notorious rock bands in all of recorded history. And when that guy decides to go solo, he chooses you to play alongside of him. He chooses you to help collaborate in writing new music together. A guy like that could have chosen to play with anybody in the world, but he chose you, the guy who would soon become his very best friend. That nugget of oversimplification is the basic story outline of John Entwistle of The Who and drummer Steve Luongo. Entwistle was a guy who played with Keith Moon and Kenny Jones, but when he branched out to play his own music, it was Steve Luongo who got the call. And Luongo is no slouch. He's played with guys like Jack Bruce of Cream, Richie Blackmore of Deep Purple and Rainbow, Todd Rundgren, Robin Zander of Cheap Trick, Joe Walsh. The list is practically endless. But when Entwistle died in 2002, at the age of 57, he not only left behind this amazing legacy as arguably the greatest bass guitar player in rock history, he also left behind a fair share of uncompleted and largely unpublished work. And up until now, it wasn't exactly clear what or how that music would finally become available. And as it turns out, the right guy for that job was also Steve Luongo. Steve has just helped compile, produce, and resurrect a fabulous collection of demos, rarities, alternate takes, and live cuts from John Entwistle's enormous body of work. The result is the release entitled John Entwistle, Rarities Oxumed, Volume 1. And if you're a fan of The Who or of the genius of John Entwistle, then this is something really worth looking into. This is my conversation with drummer, producer, and artist Steve Luongo on Baxi's Musical Podcast. There you go. You have your choice of two backgrounds. You can have <laughs> this one or this one. Uh, either one is fantastic. It's better than the background that I'm working on. Is uh, oh, I- let, me, let me see your, well, let me see what you're doing. I got to, uh, a, a moving blanket and a shitload of CDs. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe I should go with the spaceship so that I'm not, uh, <laughs> ah, you know what? It's okay. We're good. You know what? How are you? I am terrific. It's good to talk to you. Thanks. It's nice nice to talk to you as well. Absolutely. So are, are you still in Fort Myers Is uh, or are you out of the, out of the area right now? Or did I get, or did I get blown out into the sea? No, yeah. <laughs> I'm still in Fort Myers. I'm really? still here. And it's, it's amazing. Um, the thing about Fort Myers is five miles from here we went to look at our we uh, at our old home just right. to see what happened over there and if i still lived there i would be in a lot of trouble man wow um, the, i mean five miles from here and and things are just white it looks like the big hand just came and moved everything that's unbelievable Unreal. So i'm very very lucky and and certainly in the one percent of the one percent not without a little damage but all cosmetic you know yeah. nothing what these people dealt with well i mean all the videos that i i had seen you know yeah you know, we're you know there's a lot of people from up in massachusetts that you know, go to florida all the time and we're totally wiped out especially 
you know, on the beach of Fort Myers and everything else. I'm glad you're doing okay and that uh, you, you didn't suffer a whole hell of a lot of damage. Thank you. No, just, you know, trees and bushes and, you know, shingles and a couple of solar panels, but nothing compared. I mean, you know, nothing life threatening, nothing that impacts my environment, you know, inside. So just cosmetic Good. stuff, man. Good. Yeah. So, you know, whenever I'm, I'm trying to avoid uh, responsibility, I find myself watching drum solo videos all the time. So I wanted to go and look at, at Steve Longo videos because I wanted to see that that signature move, which I don't. I don't think I've ever seen any before with the monkey playing the cymbals. Is is that something you learned in some sort of uh, tutorial? Was that in like a, was that in that syncopation book that we all had as a kid? <laughs> no, the, the monkey. <laughs> no, no, the monkey was in the. He was in Curious George. I think is as close as he ever got to a book. <laughs> what it was was back in the seventies. <clears throat> I was dating a girl, and she uh, gave me. Have it here. Uh, she gave me that the drum. It was a drumming monkey named Zippy, and he actually plays a legitimate beat. and And the beat it sounds like a. So what I would do is hold him up to a microphone, right? And right. so his kick drum is actually playing through, and I can hear it back in my monitors. And then I do the one handed two feet thing, and that was my, you know. <laughs> I, I, I did it for the girls. Girls don't yeah. usually like a drum solo, but you put up the little stuff down, old man. But yeah, I've been doing it ever since. It's, uh, it's a bit of a gag. Well, I got to tell you, the uh, the monkey's really good. Uh, he is a man. I'm telling you, he's a my master. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 a it's a it's a great gimmick, and I'm just saying, I'm just imagining other drummers looking at this and going, "What the hell is he doing?" And then and then you hear the rest of the drum solo. It's like, uh, okay, I guess I can get, I guess I can forego the monkey. The guy knows what he's doing. Well, I tell you a funny story. I was playing with <laughs> uh, the Robin Zander band, and we were opening for REO, and their drummer, very good drummer, I think his name is Steve Peck, oh, Steve Hit. I'm sorry, and um, we played. We opened. For for him two nights and on the first night i did the monkey thing and the next night they came out on stage to see the monkey thing so uh it's you know it's become a signature and um rod morgenstein said to me man if you can do something that no one else has ever done that's saying something that that's is something that's your legacy. so yeah <laughs> so i got the uh, i got the new uh, the new album a couple weeks ago the john entwistle rarities Oxumed. and i have to tell you this is a really you know, for anyone that, that, that loved The Who or loved John Entwistle, particularly the way, you know, the style that he played, this is uh, just an awesome, beautifully done collection. Tell me about how this came together. Um, you know, uh, I had been being asked over the years by fans, is there anything that you haven't put out? Is there anything that we could hear? Is there any more music? And, you know, I always knew that there was, but it's kind of right time right place you know you have to find the right people to promote it and the mm -hmm. right people to so um and this year uh i made a good connection with deco entertainment and i thought it was about time so what that collection is, is we um back in the 90s we were the john and i were the musical supervisors for uh, a children's show believe it or not called vampires right and it was a uh, you know, it was uh, kids that hung out in a, in a junkyard and then the junkyard gets hit by a meteor and all the junk cars turn into V-A-N, van pyres, and they suck <laughs> the gas out of other cars. Kids get turned into the superhero, you know, the mm -hmm. and they fight the 
vampires. So we wrote the title theme for, you know, the theme song for the show. And then we wrote another 13 songs. And when we, when it happened, when that happened, we were shopping a demo around. We had, you know, we, we had gone to England, written some stuff, recorded it at John's place. And I was shopping it around. And my business manager said, I'm going to play this for my cousin. He's working on a new TV show. Well, the reason the the things that are on here on on Zoomed exist is because it was a it was a kid show. You, so you can't use violence, can't use sex, can't use drugs, can't use weapons. So, and of course, the, all of those things are in our music. Yeah, I was going to say uh, that's everything the Who stood for. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and um, so we had to rewrite the lyrics. They loved the sound. They loved the whole thing. <laughs> We had to rewrite lyrics and rearrange songs. So these songs, the songs that are on here, are either alternate versions or versions that were never released to the songs that we did for that TV show. Uh, Left for Dead, for instance, is has completely different lyrics and a very long run out at the end. And um, so, you know, I, I just thought it would be good to include some of those things, especially it was it's a fan driven record. I, I did this for the fans, knowing that, you know, I'm not looking for critical acclaim. I'm not looking for a top 10 hit single. I'm trying to give John's fans what they wanted. And that's a little bit more John. So this seemed like a good way to do it. I, I, you know, I had a, we remixed, remastered and did some things. And then with regard to the demos, um, we wrote some songs together to hopefully be used on a new who record back in the day. And that never happened. John, uh, you know, uh, went into the suite by and by. And I thought, you know what? I think the fans would like to hear these, even though they're kind of, you know, not very polished demos. They do show where John's head was at with regard to what he might submit for a new Who album. So rather than worry about quality, um, I wanted it's it's more of like a history lesson than it is uh, an audio yeah. lesson. Is there I, I'm just, out, of, out of total curiosity is is there more music to have chosen from? I mean, is this the only one of this of this kind that's going to be released, or will there be more versions of it? No, there, no, there's there's <laughs> there's a lot more. The 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 thing is organizing it. You know, um, no, there are there are more studio tracks. There are more demos. I have so much live material from the band. We record it every night. So I've got a hundred shows, give or take. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and again, it wasn't about perfect performances. The things that I picked for this album were actually from the last tour that we ever did in 2001. And um, it was, it's funny because we wanted John to sing, you know, Trick of the Light and Success Story. And he grabbed my voice. And then at the end, he finally said, well, they're not coming to hear me sing, are they? <laughs> no, they're, they're not. <laughs> so the stuff that's on there, the live stuff that's on there is raw. It's, you know, there's no overdubs. There's no fixes. It's just the way we played it, you know, warts and all, so to speak. And yeah, I mean, I could, uh, it's volume one for a reason because volume two is coming. Right. So I've, I've started prepping some of the stuff for that. And they're going to be very, the fans will be very surprised because one of the things that John and I talked about doing in the future when we didn't want to go out and tour 
as much as we did back then. Uh, he wanted to do soundtrack, you know, soundtrack material and write for films and write for television and so on and so forth. So some of the things that'll be on volume two will reflect that. So some of the things that, that really stood out uh, for me, uh, I'll try again today, I think is just a great freaking track. And, and, and maybe one of those, one of those songs that could have been one of his, his best songs ever. It was, it's a really powerful song. Oh, thanks. It's, it's, you know, that um, we had an interesting process when we were writing songs together, we would bring in our demos to each other. I'd give him mine, he'd give me his and I would listen and I would think, okay, we could do this and so on and so forth. And he naturally gravitated, you know, if, if I gave him 20 songs, he naturally gravitated to the ones that really, you know, that, that moved him. And that particular track in its infancy, uh, was one of them and we had a great lot of fun um writing that and uh you know i actually um i actually came up with the title i'll try again today based on a uh, a guitar player friend of mine who passed away recently in my humble opinion one of the absolute guitar heroes of all time um but never got his just due mm. i think so um, this is about, you know, the struggle that musicians face every day to just keep pushing. Try again today. There's also a version of uh, Boogeyman, too. And is is does that one include Keith Moon on this album? Yeah, it does. Yeah. OK. Yeah, it sure does. I mean, and the the how that came about, you know, sometimes you have to wait 20 years before you finish these things. That was um, originally a demo that John had intended for the Who back in the 70s. So um, the, the, the track, you know, when we were playing each other the demos, he played me that. And I said, who's playing drums? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I think that's, that's Keith Moon. And he goes, oh, yeah, it's him. And I'm thinking, well, we got to use this. So they recorded the tracks 78, uh, maybe 77, 78. And uh, it was just the bass track and the drums with John singing great vocal. That's his vocal from back then. And uh, the little horn bits in the middle, which are actually not done on horns. When he showed up to the session that day, he forgot his horns. So he had to do everything with his mouth. <laughs> Don't ask me to do it, but he, he could do it. And so I said, well, we have to, we, we've got to finish this song. This is, you know, to have Keith Moon, I mean, on, on anything. Yeah. He was playing great. He played some just amazing stuff on, on that track. So John said, well, I'll look for the multi-track, you know, the, the big tape where you do the overdubs and um, funny story. He couldn't find it because he has a tape room on the third floor of his house with all of his <laughs> two inches and half tracks and so on. And he said, I couldn't find it. And I started, I was walking out of the room. He said, and I heard a great bloody bang. He said, it scared me. And I turned around and it was the bogeyman tape that had fallen over and it was labeled on the wrong side. Oh, really? So, yeah. <laughs> and we all we all agree that the third floor of this house up, up around here was was haunted. <laughs> Absolutely haunted. Yeah. The reason why I questioned whether it was him or not, because I, I, you know, I, I had read that that he was a part of that track, but he was doing something that he doesn't normally do when Keith Moon played is he was playing on a hi hat. Oftentimes he just avoided that or didn't even have it with him. So that's why I was like, well, yeah. well is that him or is that not him? Well, I, yeah, you know, I think at that point, uh, you know, they were trying to get Keith to sort of, you know, settle down maybe. And, and there's a lot of just good time keeping drums in there. 
Um, and uh, yeah, the hi-hat. Well, John, John told me he didn't, he didn't want the hi-hat because it wasn't loud enough. <laughs> so, but I think for this particular thing, he, he obviously used a hi-hat. But yeah, there, no mistaking, that's Keith Moon. Yeah. You had a, a, a very close relationship with, uh, with John. How did you meet John? Uh, we met at a NAMM show, believe it or not. Um, it was uh, summer 87. The NAMM show was at McCormick Place in uh, Chicago. And our front of house sound man for my band Rat Race Choir, when we were kids, we used to do The Who and all, you know, all that stuff. So we knew it cold. And our engineer said uh, he had just come back from Music Massa in Germany where he had played with John. It was another trade show that's in March and then this one's in June. And he said, I played with John Ellis, so I told him about you guys. And we were like, well, how do we get to play with John Ellis? <laughs> and he said, well, I told him all about you guys. I'll introduce you to him. And I have a slot at a jam and so on and so forth. And sure enough, we're, it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Here comes John Entwistle just walking down the street. And uh, we were introduced. And he's, you know, dressed in full rock star regalia with the spider and the jacket <laughs> and the shirt and the perfect hair. And, and uh, he said, ah, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. And I said, you want a jam? And he said, anytime, mate. So I said, that's a license to steal. <laughs> so I went, went on to the NAM floor and I, I found out who does the biggest jam, the biggest NAM jam. And I said, listen, I'm playing with John Entwistle. We'd like to play at the jam tonight. Little poetic license. And they said, John Entwistle wants to play. Okay. And they sent a car. They sent a, a limousine to my motel and i use the word loosely because i think the, i think the car they sent was bigger than the front uh, facade of the motel and i picked john up he had no idea where we were going and you know he just very accommodating and we uh drove down the alley of the vic theater went down the dressing room stairs and when we finally came out on stage after god a, a half a dozen acts i think eddie van halen and uh leslie west neil schoen uh dweezil zap i can't remember everybody that was there uh and he said well what are we going to play i said we'll play who songs and he said well i don't know any <laughs> so we said <laughs> we'll teach him and we, we we ran through the we ran through the live stuff and we ran through won't get fooled again summertime blues and he said you guys even learned the mistakes <laughs> <laughs> if you left him on the record, we may, yeah, we learned him. And then we walked out on stage to not hundreds of people, but thousands of people. And it was, it, it just, because we were so used to playing the material, it, it was no big deal. You know, let's just play this stuff. So we're just playing it again. And he felt it. And he and I hung out in the green room for the rest of the night, telling jokes and stories and talking about this and that and the other thing. And I said, listen, I got to bail because I have an early flight in the morning. And he handed me his phone number and said, give me a call. And wow. that's, that's how it started. That's amazing. The perception of John, you know, not just on a musical level, we'll talk about that a little bit, but you know, on a personal level, he always seemed to be the quiet one in the band, which you know, compared to Pete and Keith Moon, that may or may not be that hard to do. But he always seemed to be the more reserved and, and, and serious of, uh, of the four guys. And I... You just you you can never assess someone's personality just by watching them play in that kind of environment. Tell me about what what uh, what John was like, and and what's the misconceptions of of what he was like. Well, first of all, if you you can call him the quiet one until you stand in front of that amp. 
True. And he always said, you know, Keith was the maniac. Pete was the intellectual genius. Roger was the face out in front. He said, what am I going to be? He said, I'll just stand here and play. And you you look at him and he just appears to not really be doing that much until you focus on his hands. And it's like, holy Christmas, he's uh, he's pretty amazing. And so, you know, that's how it happened. And unfortunately for John, a lot of the sound, you know, a lot of the Who's sound uh, by all their admission came from John. But whenever he was doing a lead, the cameraman turned on to Pete and it was like, no, that's not where it's coming from. So (laughs) he was somewhat. I don't want to say overlooked, but he wasn't as stunning a visual as everybody else, which is why he dressed like a peacock. You know, he was always wearing sparkly stuff. And right. he was always, you know, he was a very smart dresser. And uh, so that was his thing. You know, that's just uh, that just became his thing. But musically, I mean, he, you know, he stands apart from, you know, nearly every bass player before and since. I mean, there's really never been a guy who played like John Entwistle, and there's never really been a guy who could play like that. In your, as a guy who's played with him, you know, for the course of, you know, I don't know, like two decades or whatever it wound up being, especially as a drummer, what made him so special as a bass player? Well, he was, he was more than a bass player. He was, in his own terms, a bass guitarist. And really, it felt like playing with another drummer because he was so into the time and so so clever about what he did. It was almost like trading off with another drummer. And um, uh, he just there's you could play anything at him, and he'd play it right back at you. Or and we used to sort of chase each other musically, and it was just. It, not really challenging one another, but really, you know, oh yeah, watch this. Oh yeah, watch this. And <laughs> some of the solos that we did together were just, just incredible. Just really incredible. When we talk about, you know, drumming and, and bass playing and, and the rhythm section of any band, you know, this is a guy, you know, he had played with Keith Moon. He could have played with you know Kenny Jones, could have played with anybody during his solo career, but he felt really comfortable playing with you. And to me, that's a hell of a compliment to any drummer that a guy of that stature is saying, hey, you know what? I want to play with Steve Longo. That's the guy I feel comfortable with. You have to take that one to the grave with you. I mean, to have that guy have such an endorsement with you for so long is fantastic. Well, it, and it is fantastic. And I think the, the, the thing behind that was the fact that we played so well together. Um, you know, when we were on stage, it wasn't the drummer from Rat Race Choir and the bass player from The Who. It was two guys in a band. There was never that hierarchy competition. You know, mm-hmm. I get my own. He was one of the guys and he played like one of the guys. And I was never I never felt like there was any place I couldn't go. He loved pushing the envelope and he loved when I pushed the envelope and we we just found this groove together and most drummers all drummers i'm sure know that if you lock in with your bass player you're setting the foundation for anything else that anybody wants to put on top he was just incredible and so prolific i mean you know he never played the same move twice or in the same way very inventive and you know as far as i'm concerned you know as a player his choice of players 
well, that's about as big a compliment as you could get. And um, yeah, that's, you know, and I will take it to the grave, <laughs> which is right over there. Right over there. So, and actually, when you listen to the, when you listen to the record, you know, uh, Oxumed, you can hear the quality of the musicianship all the way through. Great guitar playing. The, the vocals are really good. I mean, even though they are demos or, you know, remastered songs, I mean, you can definitely hear that, you know, he picked and chose, uh, you know, wisely who he was going to play with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, when we decided we wanted to put the band together, this is a funny story. Uh, we had played with the guitar player who's on the who's on that record, Godfrey Townsend. No H, no relation, no Ferrari, as John <laughs> would say. Um, and he was perfect. I mean, he just played the way we needed him to play. And so I we were talking about guitar players and he said, well, what about that guy we jammed with at the China Club? I said, oh, yeah, Godfrey, he's, he's great. I'll ring him up. And so I, I had been playing with Godfrey um, in some other just, you know, throwaway bands and um we i said you know do you want to do you want to join he said absolutely so we're on the bus this is after rehearsal and i'm not going to tell you the whole story because it gets a little foul language but um it's it's really okay oh well (laughs) i guess it depends i'm just depends on the amount stop it at one point um okay anyway we're on the bus the three of us are in the front Keep our players in the back. Three of us are in the lounge. And he says to Godfrey, what's your surname? He didn't know his last name. And Godfrey says, Townsend. And John goes, you're joking, right? (laughs) And he said, no, 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 no. And, you know, and it goes on. It gets pretty crazy. But um, and so, John, I'll tell you the rest of the story. John decides he's going to take the piss out of Godfrey. And he says, he says, you're joking. And Godfrey goes, oh, come on, Pete, what a genius. And, <laughs> and John goes, genius? He writes a bunch of lyrics and makes you do all the work and you think he's a genius. And Godfrey <laughs> says, what about won't get fooled again? And John goes, exactly, won't get fooled again about fucking what? <laughs> and so... And, and believe me, this is just, this is John joking, not, you know. And so Godfrey says, what about Tommy? And John goes, Tommy, what a piece of shit. He can't hear you. He can't see you. And he can't tell you because he doesn't fucking know. End of conversation. And John and I laughed about it for a while. But the guitar player was like, and he did. He introduced him on stage. Godfrey Townsend, no relation, no nose, no Ferrari. That's great. You did. You did wind up playing with a bunch of other real notable people uh, yeah. beyond uh, you know, John Entwistle. Uh, you know, Jack Bruce, Joe Walsh, Richie Blackmore, Todd Rundgren, uh, and, and a bunch of others. You know, not all those names are the easiest guys to get along with or the easiest guys to play with. Uh, and I'm not going to point fingers, but I mean. When you're playing with guys that are not John Entwistle and you're not necessarily uh, playing with guys who are particularly easy to get along with, as a drummer, do you find it hard to get the job done or do you just go in there professional and do what you have to do to get through it? Well, no, I never found it hard to get the job done because most of the people that I, all of the people that I played with over the years were like-minded. 
And I suppose <clears throat> I had a little bit of cachet having already played with Ant Whistle, although I played with Leslie West and Mountain at the same time that I was playing with John. He'd be off with The Who, I'd be out with Leslie. But no, I did. You know, it's funny that you asked that because when I did the um, when I did the thing with the guys from ACDC, Brian and Cliff, um, I produced those records and I co-wrote the songs with Brian and the guitar player, and I was surprised at how interested they were in my. I don't want to say approval, but did I like what we were doing? Did it sound, as a producer? I mean, a lot of respect. And Robin Zander, just he's just a blast. I mean, you yeah. go out with Robin, it's like you're putting a garage band back together and going out and playing your favorite stuff. <laughs> he's like the eternal kid. Um, you know, Cliff and Brian, <clears throat> John, uh, Williams and Johnson, they were very easy to work with. Uh, Brian just did his thing. I mean, he was just out there walking. You know, he was just Brian and Cliff surprisingly and i don't mean this again in a derogatory way after having played with Entwistle, i was pleasantly surprised at how good a bass player cliff was you never get to hear it on the records because he's playing the root and the pedal point and on the things that we wrote they were a little bit more a little bit more eccentric and yeah. cliff just he was i like i said i was really pleasantly surprised at what a great player he was jack bruce um the only thing you had to do with jack was play the parts right and we did a thing, you know, we did a, a, a cream set where we played, oh, God, uh, uh, I Feel Free and um, mm. uh, Born Under a Bear. We did like, you know, just all the classic real sunshine and all of that. And I remember in the only two things Jack <laughs> said to me that were, you know, were not, they weren't off color. We were doing um, I Feel Free and he turns to me and he says, all right, Steve, you play, you'll sing Eric's parts. And it's like, I'll sing Eric's parts. Who says that? <laughs> and so they're in um, the verse, I forgot what it is, dance, won't you dance with me? And he said, no, 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 it's dance. <laughs> I said, okay, dance it is. And he was a great guy. I mean, I, I got along with Jack. I played with him a few times in different situations. And yeah. Um, the thing was, if you could play, you know, that's what that's what got Jack's attention and, and his respect. And Mark and I, Mark Hitt and I had, I mean, we knew the cream stuff like the back of our hand. So we were just, it's like we were playing it with a different bass player that just happened to be Jack Bruce. <laughs> and you could see that, you know, he was enjoying it because he wasn't worried about, are these guys going to mess it up? And right. it was it was pretty comfortable. And, he, and he, he's he's played with more disgruntled drummers in the past too. So, <laughs> yes, 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 he certainly has. And you know, I mean, John would say, "Ah, you met one of the nice ones," you know, because multiple person. But I, I found Jack to be. Uh, we were looking to do a tour after we did this thing. We were looking really? to go and do a full, full blown tour, but he had health problems and eventually passed. So that one never happened but yeah he was i mean i can't say what he would have been like after three months on the road but you know the the gigs that we played together he was he was great yeah i i've interviewed uh roger glover and i've interviewed uh ronnie james dio and his uh and his widow and uh the i i don't hear those same kind of uh glowing stories from uh from richie blackmore um no you oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, well there now 
And they have re- okay. and they have reasons for those stories too. I mean, I I understand it's not just all in a vacuum, but you know they have their own you know, their own personal issues with uh, with Richie and his, uh, his the way he operates. Well, yeah, and the truth of the matter is, out of all the people that you mentioned, Richie was the only one that was aloof and disconnected and sort of snarky and um, you know that's just that's just Richie. Yeah. Um, you know, I was in I was in Rainbow for about a week because <laughs> I'm not some I'm not I'm not somebody that does well with subordinates. You know, I mean, if if something's wrong, I'm going to tell you it's wrong. I'm in a I'm used to being in a band, not being a a, a hired gun. Right. There's anything wrong with that, but I'm used to being in a in a you know a cacophony of of chemistry and musical ideas. So there came a thing we were recording in the studio and something came question about the time was it too fast or was i keeping time and i said oh well let's go listen against the click and you know the fact that i challenged instead of just saying oh yes richie it's me uh you know i i said no it's not me man and let's go listen and so that kind of sealed that deal so i i uh, was online on your uh, your website and i got to look at uh, at steve longo designs which i thought was really really cool For, and my first question was do these shirts come in short and poorly? Uh, <laughs> and then I realized, well, maybe not. Um, but these are the, the artwork that you've, you've done is really very, very cool and very interesting. And you've applied those, those pieces to material and made, made shirts out. And tell me about your artwork. Cause it's actually very, very impressive. No, thank you. It's, you know, art was there for me as long as music. I think I, I had, uh, pencils and pens before I had drumsticks. So, and I always was just drawn to that. In school, I would go to the art classes. They were the ones that I did show up for. And, um, <laughs> you know, over the years, it was just like a hobby or a release from, you know, all the tension of a gig or all the tension of recording. And it was just a way of relaxing. And I was doing um, an event down here in Fort Myers, and the guy who was doing it with me uh, said, we need some publicity pictures. So we're going through my pictures on the computer and a piece of art popped up. And he said, what's that? I said, that's my art. And then picture, 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 another piece of art. He said, stop. What is that? I said, it's my art. He said, have you shown it? I said, yeah, my mother's seen it. My <laughs> wife has seen it. He said, that's not what I mean. Have you ever shown it in the gallery? And I said, uh, no. And so one thing led to another. And Paul, the uh, Paul Cola, who was the guy in question, um, he said, uh, we have to put this at our event. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want people buying it because it's at an event and then, and then and he said, well, don't sign it and we'll see how it does. And we sold everything. So he said, now you got to join the Naples art association. And I went through that whole thing and I was invited to all these different galleries. And, you know, I, when I'm with art people, art people are a very specific breed. I felt like the whole world was a tuxedo and I was a pair of Brown shoes. <laughs> it's, it's it was, I felt so out of my element and I actually wound up getting an award for this, that, and the other thing. And then Paul comes up to me and he says, you should put this on shirts. What? So I'm, he's thinking, you know, put the pieces of art on a black t-shirt, you know, and that's just not for me. Right. I would, you know, um, and I love Robert Graham. I love fashion. And the, the downside about being a drummer is you don't get to really wear a lot of cool clothes because they wind up either getting ripped or, Sweat through. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, 
but I loved, I, I, I always loved fashion. So I said, you know, if I'm going to, so I'm thinking about it, if I'm going to do this on shirts, I'm going to do something that no one's ever done before. Now, Robert Graham did all the beautiful collars and the patterns and the embroidery and all that. And I thought, well, what if I take a whole piece of art, a 40 by 60 canvas and make a shirt out of it? What would that look like? You know, full scale, not a repeat of this piece of art, this piece of art, but right. just a whole, like I'm making a shirt out of a canvas. And that's what they are. That's why they're so big. You know, it's, it's so bold and it, it, it's like a, an art, an artist print. So I decided to embroider the signature into the collar along with the name and the addition number, one of 20, because I only did 20 in each size of each piece. Right. And uh, it just, exploded in in the in the the best way but I, you know i wound up um you know i would call my friend it started with eddie money i said eddie i've got some samples you know that i was having made in china and in india and i said you know if they'd be great stay okay stevie send them on and, <laughs> and i did and he wore them on stage for every show then mark rivera from billy joel's band started wearing them at the garden every night and mm -hmm. you know at their residency and some country guys got into it billy dean um i got a there was a store here in town a men's shop that was selling them i get a call from the owner and he says uh, do you know billy dean i said well, i don't know him, but i know who he is country artist he said well he's here and he's looking at your shirts and he wants to know this and that and the other thing well i said look tell him you know just to hang out and i'll come down it's five minutes away and we started talking. He said, I love this one. I love that one. Now, the truth is, I would never charge another artist retail. But I'm in a retail store with a guy who's repping my line. So Billy bought um, three shirts. That's 1800 bucks. So, And I would give anybody, if you're a musician, I cut the price in half. And so I said to him, you know, Billy, give me your address because I wouldn't ever do this. I'll send you three more on the house just so that you know i know that i did the right thing by a musician he wears them all the time i wound up sending him the rest of the collection <laughs> it's it's That's great I, I, I never expected it you know i did want to do something different no one has ever done an entire fashion line based on the art of a single artist and so that's you know that's what i did but to have a second career out of it is 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 pretty remarkable i mean man real. i yeah. And, and I love it. I mean, I love the fashion part of it. I love designing the shirts and doing the silhouette. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great. It's actually a third career because the art career came first, you know, that, that was, I couldn't believe how successful that was. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, not, <laughs> not Gauguin or any of that, but I mean, people were buying the art. They were freaking out about it. I had a, a window in downtown Fort Myers in the summer with about a dozen pieces. Some guy came along, bought the, bought the whole window. So I said, oh, okay, well, this is working. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's not music and it's not, you know, it's just, it's not that. Yeah. It, it, you, you know. But, and I love the art. I, I just never thought of it as a commercial venture. Yeah. You know what I mean, I never really realized that I could sell it or that anybody would even care. And when my friend Paul just freaked out over the whole thing, it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. Well, I, like I said, I, I, I poked my nose around it a little bit. Um, and, and 
they are really cool shirts. There's no well, no getting well, around listen, it. We, we do two X if you if you if you think that well, we can work. Uh, it. Well, wow. let me let me talk that one over with my wife and see, and yeah. see if she's cool with that. But no, they I thought they were very very cool. So I no, but I, I'll take care of you, man. No, don't worry about uh, that. You you're out, you're inside. I appreciate it. I also stumbled across the uh, the rock and roll uh, show and tell podcast that you that you have been doing, uh, and 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 listened to a couple of episodes and I really liked it. I mean, the, the, the one you did with Steve Stevens, I thought was really cool. You know, I mean, well, that, yeah, I mean that's, that's a, and that's a guy you've known for almost your whole life, right? Yeah. When and the the, the thing with Steve, well, the thing with the show was when COVID happened and everybody was out of work. Um, everybody started playing acoustic guitars or singing or taking requests on keyboards or whatever. And I, you know, that's, nobody wanted to hear me play guitar. Um, (laughs) although I did play on those two demos, but nobody, you know, it's not something I could, uh, entertain with, uh, people with for hours. Right. So my, I I have a friend who's a guitarist in Zebra, Randy Jackson, and Randy was doing a a great guy. Randy was doing uh, an acoustic show where he'd play Beatles and he'd play Zebra songs and he played Led Zeppelin. And he said, you should talk to people because you love to talk. And I said, well, yes, I do. But I didn't want to just do interviews. You see, you and I are having a conversation, same conversation that we would have if we were backstage, if we were at the hotel bar, if we were in a green room, right? you know, because I just, I love people in the business, no matter what part of the business they're in. And there's always something to talk about. And um, so I said, all right, well, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to do like a chat show type of thing, I want to do it with my friends that I haven't seen in 30 years. Because in this business, you know, Steve, I've known Steve Stevens since he was 16. <laughs> and his drummer used to sneak him in to see our band play. And, uh, you know, he, I said before about Mark Hitt being one of the un, un, excuse me, unsung heroes of guitar, Steve counted Mark as one of his major influences, really? as did Steve yeah. Vai and Joe Satriani. Um, and so we got to talk about those things. Now, think about this. I, you know, if I, my phone book is filled with some great phone numbers. But if I just, I mean, Jack is gone, but if I just rang Jack up after a few years and said, hey, Jack, it's Steve, how you doing? All right, Steve, what what do you want? (laughs) So I kind of thought, you know what, this is a great way for me to reconnect with all of my friends without having being weird, just calling them up. Right. And that's what it is. It's just come on the show and let's talk about stuff. And that's that's what it is. And Steve came on. Buck Dharma has been on, although I try to go for <clears throat> um, not I don't try to go for, but I, I try to go for the musicians that n- nobody really knows um, or they're not as familiar with, not the household names. Yeah. I mean, think about the guys that back up Billy Joel every, you know, once a month at the Garden. Those are killer players. I've had most of those guys on this show. And then we do a thing on Friday night called Free for All Friday, which anybody who's got the, the key to get in can come in. Right. And I have guys coming in, you know, from backstage at Madison Square Garden saying, yeah, we're about to go on. We wanted to say, and it's, I've got guys from Aruba, Antigua, Costa Rica, <laughs> and musicians all over the world. And it's just, it's been the most, I never expected it to go on for more than two years, but here we are. There you go. So, so now you got the fourth part of your career right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess, uh, well, NBC hasn't called me yet, but we'll see. It's There's time. time. There's time. You're still a young fella. I'm sure I'm sure they'll be knocking on your door at some point. Hey, uh, yeah. again, the the, uh, the John Entwistle Rarity's Exhumed uh, album is, is, is out. It's fantastic. You did a really, really good job with this. Uh, best of luck with it. I'm actually looking forward to, to volume two. How's, how, soon, you, I, how soon do you think that'll be out? Well, um, if they wanted it out by Christmas, I could get it out by Christmas. I don't know what the long-term plan is. Um, I, I am so comfortable with Deco Entertainment that I really, you know, I'm not over their shoulder. When are we doing this? It's, they know their, their gig. They are such a progressive yet traditional label. Um, I imagine, what are we in September, uh, October, almost November, almost November. I would think in the spring, maybe it'll be out by the spring. It's, it could be out any time, but it has to do with their rhythm and whatever they do. So yeah, I would say in the spring. And I think everybody's gonna, I was going over some of the tracks last night and today, I think people are just going to be blown away with what John was doing and where he was headed and what we were trying to accomplish. And yeah. Steve, I really appreciate the time today. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Best of luck with this whole project. I, I, I'm for any who fan, they'll love it. They'll absolutely eat this up. Cool. That's what I wanted. It's really, again, it's always about the fans. John, you know, they used to say John would show up at the opening of an envelope if his fans. <laughs> he would. He'd play at the, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope they, you know, I hope they receive it with uh, the love that it was created. I'm sure they will. Steve, great to talk to you. Best of luck. And you, Michael, thank you so much for having me. Anytime you want to follow up, you know how to find me. Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you. See you soon. The name of the new record is John Antwistle, Rarities Oxumed Volume 1 on Deco Records. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, share it, rate it, tell all your friends about it. You can email me at backsatrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.